the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. SRN New. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This is indeed a dismal depiction of man, dead in his sins, obeying the dictates of the world, controlled by Satan, and disobedient to God. How do we end up like this? Why did we behave like this before we were saved? Why do non-Christians behave like this now? Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will deal with those questions and more as he continues this study in the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is the radio adaptation of these practical expository messages. Last time on Verse by Verse, we talked about how before God gives us spiritual life, we're blind to our error and totally unable to respond to his call without his help. Without God's power, we can do nothing to save ourselves. But there is a paradox in that even though we are powerless to make the right decision, we are still responsible for that wrong decision. The Apostle Paul said that before we were saved, we were children of wrath. If you're able, let's open our Bibles now to Ephesians chapter 2. Here's Pastor Steve. As we continue our study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, I want to direct your attention to just one verse. A verse filled with a lot of truth, but one verse, and that's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, in which the apostle writes, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Concerning this statement, this verse, and in particular the words, and were by nature children of wrath, Bible teacher John Stott once said, and I quote, I doubt if there is any expression in Ephesians which has provoked more hostility than this. I think he's right. There's a good reason why these words should provoke hostility. It's because they present an extremely low view of man. They tell him what he doesn't want to hear about himself, that far from being righteous and upright and good, He has cravings, drives that are wrong, not only in his actions, but in his mind and in his inner attitudes. These words by Paul tell man that his essential problem is that he's corrupt in his nature. He's a child of wrath. He was born this way. He's an object of God's wrath. Therefore, he can't fix his problem by more education or a higher standing in society, or a better paying job. As a child of wrath, he stands helpless before God, condemned as a sinner who indulges his flesh because he's enslaved 
to the very desires stemming from his flesh as well as his mind. And no wonder these words provoke hostility. They tell men that based on the way they are, the way Paul speaks of them in this verse, as corrupt in nature and therefore enslaved to lust, they have no hope of being reconciled to God. They are objects of his wrath and judgment. In a word, they are powerless. Powerless to change themselves so that they could be acceptable to God. Now, this feeling of being powerless to be right with God, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul wanted his readers to feel when he penned the words of Ephesians 2, verse 3. He wanted them to feel this way because his purpose, folks, in writing this verse and the ones surrounding this was to demonstrate that the only reason that any of us are ever saved is because God chooses to demonstrate his power in bringing us to himself for salvation. The only reason. See, as we have been following Paul's arguments from the very beginning of his letter to the Ephesians, we've seen that he opens this letter by exalting God the Father, by telling us that God the Father, he's the one who has brought about our salvation, not we ourselves. He opened the letter starting in verse 3 of chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us. We didn't choose him. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Now, having taught these profound truths, and they really are profound to the Ephesians, Paul moves on. To let these folks know, this church at Ephesus know that he's, he's praying for them. They're so deep, these truths. He's praying for them to understand what he's just taught them. And so he says in verses 18 and a little bit into 19, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you'll know what the hope of his calling is, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. So one of the things that Paul says to the Ephesians that he's praying for them is that they will understand God's power, his power towards them, which means God's power that brought about their salvation. In order to help them to understand God's power, Paul illustrates the power, the strength of God at the close of chapter 1 by stating that it was God's power at work that raised Jesus from the dead. If you want an illustration of God's power, look at the resurrection of Christ. He says as he continues in verse 19 and into 20, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places. But having said that, as Paul moves from what we call chapter 1, to what we call chapter 2, he doesn't change his thought. He just continues explaining how incredible God's power is by laying out for us the very process of salvation, the mechanics, how it works, how we actually came to be saved. Yes, we were chosen in him, but how did we come 
to experience this salvation. After all, we were chosen to him before the foundation of the world. How did we experience in time and in, in history and in space, how did we experience salvation? That's what the first part of chapter 2 is about. The way Paul does this is he explains that prior to salvation, we were all spiritually dead. And remember, he is not only explaining the, the process of salvation, he is telling us this so we understand that we had no part of it. We had no part in it. It was by his power alone. And he starts off then by telling us that we were spiritually dead, helpless. Chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We were not neutral towards God. We were dead, unresponsive in sins and trespasses, uninterested in God, even hostile towards him. And we proved that we were dead and hostile by the way we lived, which Paul articulates in verse 2, in which you formerly walked, meaning before your conversion, this is how you used to walk, this is how you used to live, which we formerly walked according to the course of this world, the very spirit of this age, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit, that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Paul says that before we were converted, we walked according to the course of this world, meaning that whatever the culture, whatever society dictated, told us to believe, told us how to act, told us what the values were, we said yes. We said yes. It's almost as if we didn't have a mind of our own. We walked according to the course of this world. We believed that. We believed it. We acted that way. And everything in, involved in this course of behavior and belief was contrary to the ways of God. And the reason for this is that the course of this world, Paul says in this verse, is according to the control of Satan, according to the prince of the power of the air. That would be the devil himself. Now, when he speaks of the power of the air, he is indicating that Satan has a whole host of demons, fallen angels, who work behind the scenes, who are invisible to us, but who move around in what we would call the air, the, the atmosphere, and they influence society. They convey their values, and in mysterious ways, they influence the movers and shakers of our world by prompting them and persuading them to embrace all kinds of ungodly beliefs and practices that go against Scripture to the point that the very spirits, Paul said, the spirits of men and women, meaning our inner beings, not spirit in the sense of the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of man, his inner being, embraces these anti-biblical practices and beliefs, making their lives characterized by disobedience to God. We were disobedient to God. Now, this is indeed a dismal depiction of man, dead in his sins, obeying the dictates of the world, controlled by Satan, and disobedient to God. How do we end up like this? Why did we behave like this before we were saved? Why do non-Christians behave like this now? And this is how they behave. Well, Paul explains why we were once dead sinners, following the course of this world, the course of Satan, disobedience to God. He explains it in the verse we're going to look at tonight, verse 3. It's the focus of our study as we really continue looking at the depth of man's sin problem as Paul's purpose in all of this in the first 10 verses of chapter 2 is to show us how powerless we were to save ourselves. Now, verse 3 again, this is his explanation of why we walked like this. Among them, we too all formerly 
lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now to begin with, notice, I want you to notice how Paul starts this sentence and how he closes this sentence. He starts by including himself and all the Jewish people in this description of man's sinfulness. And he closes it the same way. He says, among them, notice this, we too lived. And then he says, even as the rest. Meaning, we who are Jews, Paul includes himself, are no different than Gentiles. We live like everybody else, sinful and disobedient to God. See, what, what Paul wants the Ephesians to understand is that although most of them were Gentiles and came out of pagan backgrounds that were steeped in wicked behavior, their spiritual condition before God, as sinners before God, was no different than, than the spiritual condition of Jewish people, including the Apostle Paul before he was converted. He, he includes himself in this category, we too. That's why he begins the verse, among them we too, meaning we who are Jewish are also included amongst the sons of disobedience. Now, some may have been surprised in the Ephesian church to hear the apostles say such a thing. After all, most Jewish people of Paul's day considered themselves morally superior to Gentiles. They had derogatory names for Gentiles. They called them dogs, the uncircumcised, the ignorant, the unlearned ones, strangers to the covenants of God. Paul himself had felt that way, frankly, prior to his conversion, because he he tells us in Philippians 3 that before he was saved, he looked at himself as a righteous man. He says, as, as observing the outward aspects of the law of Moses, he said, I was blameless. Now, what he means by that is that he did everything externally that the law required. It said that you have to observe the Passover. He observed the Passover. It said that you have to do a ritual cleansing. He observed that. But there came a point in Paul's life where he saw the true nature of the law. It wasn't just about externals. And he saw the true nature of his own heart. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says that when he understood one of the Ten Commandments, the last one that says, thou shalt not covet, he said, I died. I died because he understood at that point what a wicked man he was. Yes, Paul observed outwardly the law, but inwardly he had all kinds of covetous desires, all kinds of things that he craved for, all kinds of things that he, he wanted, and there was no getting around it. Paul was convicted of his sin. See, Paul realized that his sin stemmed from his desires, and his desires stemmed from his nature. It's exactly the point that he's about to make with the Ephesians. That's how he came to understand his his lost condition. The law came, showed him that his nature was wrong. Therefore, his desires were wrong. And so he moves on to say to the Ephesians, among them, among the sons of disobedience, we too all formerly lived. Notice this. How did we live? In the lusts of our flesh. That's what Paul said in Romans 7. That's Essentially, what he's talking about, the law of coveting, the lusts of our flesh. Now, the apostle states that in our past lives, and this is true of all of us, prior to our conversion, everyone, without any exception, lived a certain way. We lived, he says, in the lusts of our flesh. 
So what does he mean by that expression? The lust of the flesh. Well, in order to understand Paul here, we do need to to know the meaning of the words that he's using, specifically the words lust and the words flesh. Well, concerning lust, it's really not too hard to understand that word. Lust simply means strong desire. It's not always negative. Sometimes it is, and it certainly, although we usually associate the word lust with sexual lust, the Greek word is much broader than that. It simply means, and Paul is using it here in its broadest sense, to speak of strong desires. That's all it means. Before we were saved, we lived with very strong desires. And these desires stemmed from what Paul calls the flesh. So what does he mean by the flesh? Well, here we have to do a little bit of thinking because the Bible uses the word flesh a number of different ways. And how do we know then how he's using it? Well, context always determines how a word is used. Sometimes this word flesh is used to refer to mankind in general. Scripture says all flesh is as grass. It means human beings, mankind in general. We're all like grass in that We wither, we pass away. Other times the word flesh is used to speak of our bodies. As when Job said, I shall see him, meaning God, in my flesh. He means I'll I'll see God in my physical body. But what Paul means by the word flesh here in Ephesians 2 isn't mankind in general. Or the human body, at least not at this point. He's not referring to the human body. He's referring to the corrupt nature of man. Man in sin, his sinful nature that is opposed to God. In other words, the flesh here means everything in man that is opposed to God. I want you to see how Paul used this in another setting, Galatians chapter 5. The way he used it in Galatians, that explains how he's using it here in Ephesians. Galatians chapter 5, a passage that you are very familiar with. Galatians 5, verse 16, Paul said, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of what? The flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. The flesh, both in Galatians 5 and in Ephesians 2, the flesh speaks of everything in sinful man, his mind, his affections, His body, his desires, that's in opposition to God. That's how Paul is using it here. So Paul says that at one time, all of us walked prior to our conversion in the desires of our flesh. That is to say that what we desired before we were saved totally stemmed from our fallen natures that were opposed to God. What Paul wants us to understand is that the reason for our sinful behavior, wasn't simply some outside force that was influencing us, the world, the devil, demons. If we didn't have this verse here, we might conclude that's what Paul is teaching. Well, you walked according to the course of the world, so it's somebody else's fault. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air, so it's Satan's fault. You walked according to the demon, so it's the demon's fault. That's not what he's teaching. We behave the way we did because of the lusts of our flesh. Selfish, 
sinfulness that desired whatever we thought would make us feel good or advance our cause. In other words, we were the problem. Not Satan, not the world. They influenced us, but we're the problem. This is how we all lived, in total disobedience to God. Because our corrupt natures were all about us, self-centeredness, the total promotion of ourselves. That's man's problem. Now understand what Paul is doing. He is painting a picture of all men without Christ. He's telling the Ephesians, this is the way you were, so that we can get an accurate understanding of how needy we were for God to exert his power in our lives. We were helpless. We were hopeless. We had no life. We were dead. We walked in the ways of the world under the domination of Satan and demons, living in total disobedience to God, under the control of these strong and selfish desires that were all in opposition to God. In essence, we were totally polluted so that our entire thinking and behavior, all of it was given over to the lusts of the flesh. Concerning the fact that the lust of the flesh involved the whole man and how this affects the way we view God and man and salvation, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this in his commentary on Ephesians. He said, when Adam fell, the whole man fell. It was not merely his body that fell. Everything in Adam fell. His mind, his affections, his will, the whole man fell. And it's because so many in their theological systems, note this, Because so many in their theological systems do not realize that, that they go astray. They make the term refer only to the sensuous part of man's nature, and therefore their whole outlook must be wrong. They think that they can choose salvation, almost that they can save themselves and decide to be sanctified, and so on. They have never realized the totality of man's fall in sin. The whole man is involved. Those are brilliant words. He's absolutely right. See, Paul is arguing. He's arguing for how lost we were before Christ saved us, how hopeless we were, how helpless we were, because we were dead in sins and trespasses, living our lives as if God just didn't exist, totally consumed with ourselves, having strong desires that were all in opposition to God, and it all stemmed from this polluted, depraved nature that was ours, fallen. Indeed, we are totally fallen before God changes us. Paul went on to say that we indulged the lusts of our flesh and the mind. Mentally, spiritually, and psychologically corrupt, dead spiritually, and dying physically. But thank the Lord that He has provided a means to give us life through Jesus' sacrifice. I'm glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're in Clearwater on a Sunday and looking for a place to worship, the folks at Lakeside would love to meet you. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. Find out more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com. I'd like to take just a moment to tell you about something Pastor Steve cares about deeply, and that is getting God's Word into the hearts and minds of our blind listeners. If you have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind, and you want a free audio Bible for your digital player, call 800-838-5924 or visit blindbibles.com. That's www.blindbibles.com. Let me tell you about one more website. 
It's versebyverseradio.org. At our website, we have a large collection of previous broadcasts that we make available to you for streaming or for downloading at no charge. In fact, maybe you know someone who would like to hear Verse by Verse but can't tune in during the broadcast. Just give them the link and they can listen anytime. I'll repeat the link. It's versebyverseradio.org. If you'd like to help fund these broadcasts, we have a special page on the website just for that purpose. If the Lord is nudging you that way, we make it simple, quick, and secure. And if you already partner with us financially, we want you to know how very thankful we are for your encouraging gifts. In the passage we're studying, Paul condemns how we indulged the desires of our bodies and minds before God broke into our lives and freed us from such things. But what is so wrong about indulging those desires? Are they not natural desires? We'd be pretty abnormal if we didn't get hungry, want to rest, or have other kinds of desires. The problem comes when we let those desires drive us rather than allowing God to direct us. Augustine in his confessions wrote, Sin comes when we take a perfectly natural desire or longing or ambition and try desperately to fulfill it without God. Not only is it a sin, it is a perverse distortion of the image of the Creator in us. All these good things and all our security are rightly found only and completely in Him. This is Jerry Peterson. Join us for the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue this two-part message in his series about the power of God in salvation as we find out more about what the Apostle Paul meant by the lust of the flesh. times we're not in position for a breakthrough because when we should be sitting and serving we're searching the blessings of god will chase you down so you've got to be in position and say you know what i'm gonna settle myself i'm gonna serve god faith talk 570 and 910 wtb three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal flynn told the truth he was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 